podcast, we talk poo with Hayley Atwell. And no, we're not on a juice cleanse. It's about her new movie, Christopher Robin, which features Winnie the Pooh. I see what you did there. Yeah, thanks. Good. Plus the usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast that will only sign off on the Oscar reforms if they introduce a, car- uh, a category called Best Empire Podcast so we have a chance of winning one. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara and welcome to the Empire Podcast, brought to you once again by the team at Sky Cinema, the dedicated home for movie lovers. Later in the show, Chris will be beaming in live from a secret location where he's currently busy on a set visit um, to highlight just two of the thousand plus movies available on demand from Sky Cinema, with a fresh preview being added every single day. How exciting. Um, So yes, Chris is, as I say, on a top secret mission um, and I am standing in for him. I apologise now if I lose my voice halfway through the podcast. I've had a sore throat ever since an outdoor screening of The Meg the other night, which turned unexpectedly 4D when the heavens opened and it poured throughout pretty much the entire film, right? It was, I mean, maybe 10 minutes before the end, the rain stopped. But I want to hear point, about this. Did, did raindrops keep falling on your Meg? That's good. Oh, that's, that's good. I mean, it's, well, it's, it's right. solid gag, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you can hear there, we, I have I am joined today by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our very own Eeyore, a man who is braced for the worst but hoping for the best, or at least an eleven o'clock banana. It's Dan Jolin. Hello. <laughs> Oh, that reminds me, I need my 11 o'clock banana. I've got it right here. Oh, my God. Uh, then we have... He's not joking. He's literally getting he... up from his chair to get it. This isn't a gag. <laughs> he has a banana case. Oh, he has he a does. case Run, banana. he has a banana. That's not um, then we have, you just heard him, uh, our very own Rue, the young buck who occasionally, I don't know, retreats into a pocket. I, d- I don't really have a... I think there. It is, of course, Ben Travis. Hello. I'm not sure how well I'm going to come out of this analogy, <laughs> but carry on. No, no, it's fine. You're, you're basically Tigger, a man oh. who will fight you at the drop of an acorn. Aww, it's bless. James Dyer. Thanks. Doing. I am fully versed in the healing arts, having spent the whole of this week on a first aid course, as any of you who follow me on Twitter will know, because I was live tweeting the whole thing. Well, uh, wonderfully, that brings us to our first question. Um, so it comes from Dean BMMV. Uh, a.k.a. Dean Middle Name Bowers. Bowes? I don't know. Uh, Based on James Dyer's uh, first aid offences, what are some of the most egregious examples of first aid slash injury recovery in films? I object to that. I passed my course, thanks very much. I mean... I think they would have failed me if they could have died. Yes. (laughs) I wasn't popular. No. It's possible I was facetious. A little bit. But by touch. I kind yes. of feel like if you were actually having to sort any kind of first aid situation in the office, you'd be more concerned with live tweeting it than making sure... <laughs> there were points where I was like, hang on, hang on, hang on, and I was tweeting the thing before I could, before I could there, there know, was, do the CPR. There was a terrifying time oh, when the only first aiders in the office were me and James. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I should point out I am re-qualifying since I already knew it. But this was an interesting one. So it's a three-day course. The first two days are spent how to heal people, and the third day is how to kill people. And that was an <laughs> unusual variant on the St John's Ambulance <laughs> curricula. So that was, that was nice. Was, but you already knew that the as John well. Wick addenda, they call it. It was uh, it was good shit. But yes. Uh, yes, that was that was fun. And I apologise to to those of you who follow me on Twitter and had to sit through that. And I don't apologise to all of the rest of you who don't follow me on Twitter because fuck you, why don't you? That's a lovely welcoming attitude that will certainly entice people towards you, James. <laughs> yes, please follow um, me. <laughs> so, so to the question. <laughs> just just, one, que- just yes. one question first. Did you apologise while you were apologising to your instructor? He was he he he, he was quite long suffering by the end of it. Um, he, yes. he took it he took it in better humour than I think he could have been expected to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There were the part I I, uh, I I had to mansplain lethal weapon to him halfway through, which was which was good because he was saying, well, you know, he's talking about. Uh, 
relocating shoulders and he was talking about lethal weapon and I had to put my hand up and go, I think he finds lethal weapon too. Yeah. Nerd. And then, okay, but to answer this question. Yes, so the um, question was the worst first aid slash injury recovery in film. And we're not allowed to talk about defibrillators. No, not including Because defibrillators don't start hearts. Well, it's too obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, okay, here's the thing. So, uh, like, at the end of Die Hard... Okay, mm-hmm. so Bruce Willis gets into the limo with Holly and Argyle drives them off. This despite having severely lacerated feet and a bullet wound in his right shoulder. Now, this is one of the things I've heard about movie injuries, that there is basically nowhere in your shoulder mm. that you can be shot mm. and keep going. Because this happens a yeah. lot. Like, uh, you know, if you're an action hero, you probably get shot in the shoulder at some point. But, like, there is such a tiny area where you could possibly be shot in the shoulder and live. It's an area just above the shoulder. It's, uh, <laughs> so just, oh, just the, over, the clear just, air. Just, the clear air just next to the shoulder. But, yeah, if you are shot in the arm, you have now lost use of that arm. Uh, you, you, it's like 12 months of intense physiotherapy to try and maybe get to move it again. It's not like, oh, it's a mere flesh wound. Sorry, are you saying that what things that happen in films are unrealistic? Yeah, it's almost as if it's fiction. I'm a bit confused by that, to be honest. I find that slightly disturbing. The the one that's coming to mind for this, and I don't quite know that it's the worst, but the one that I remember is Ronin and uh, Robert De Niro doing directing surgery on himself, (laughs) Um, which I was always a bit like, I mean, I know he's tough, but really? Are we sure? Well, we know that the... Pulp Fiction, Adrenaline Shot to the Heart is a load of nonsense, right? Because it doesn't need to be direct to the heart. Why does it need to be direct to the heart? Because obviously the heart is the centre of the circulatory system anyway. Pretty silly to puncture the heart directly, I would say, that that's Mm. not a good thing to do. And you miss a little bit and you're going to puncture a lung, um, you know, because as James knows, you know, the, the golden rule of first aid is if you think anything that you might do might make them worse, don't do anything. Yeah. So, uh, which is also a bit, you know, Hippocratic. Um, so, Hippocratical. Uh, yes, no. well Hippocratical. Um, so, yeah, so that's a big load of bollocks. Um, and one pet hate is misuse of inhalers on screen, people not knowing how to use their inhaler. As the asthmatic ambassador, Dan. As, as, as the, yes, I am, I am. I am the uh, international and ambassador for asthmatics. Um, so Le Chiffre in um, Casino Royale gets his little inhaler and he goes... And that's it, and he carries on. And she's like, no, right? You to breathe it in. One puff, breathe it in, hold, release. Second puff, I'll, t- I'll take you through it. Oh, please, in One excruciating <laughs> detail, that'd be fabulous. James, are you like Which, tweeting this? I am. Yeah. I right, realised it, it would have slowed It would have slowed down the action and, the, and maybe reduced some tension if he'd used his inhaler properly. He would have been like, excuse me, Mr Bond. Did he use the correct inhaler? That's the question. Did he use the blue one or the brown one? Because the brown one is preventative. I seem to remember it was something that was like, it looked like it was gold-plated or something oh. stupid like that because he was Le Chiffre. Well, then you were that silly because you wouldn't be... They're brown and blue for a reason. Mm. Well, I, I, I use a red and white. Oh, you're Ooh. just a difficult bugger, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cleared that up. <laughs> um, um, yes, everything movies tell you about medicine is a lie. I think this yeah. is what we've, 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 we've discovered. Hmm. The abyss... The abyss. The abyss. Oh, it could happen. It could happen. It could happen. They were underwater. She was... I'll tell you Call, what. Calling her a bitch and slapping her face saved her life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Apparently. Okay. That's, it was a different time. Um, uh, the, the Meg, actually, we're going to get to this a little bit later, but it's, it's fascinating to me that the bends do not exist in the cinematic universe of the Meg. Oh, you can just shoot up from a pressurised depth and not worry about you it. You can shoot up from literally, like, you know, 10,000 feet under the sea and... 
straight to the surface in under 15 minutes and m- the most you'll have to do is slightly blow out your ears apparently I mean it's just <laughs> wow it's it's a little unconvincing in I that suppose respect taking Ellen. half an hour to surface isn't quite as cinematic <laughs> it is set five years in the future Helen That's I true. think oh, I think by humanity then will have changed by then we'd have created natty little sort of submarine devices that mean that you don't get the bends it's like that uh, bit in thank you for smoking where they say well we need to just put a line in the movie about thank goodness we solved that thing that allows you to smoke in space and it's basically they just needed that one line thank goodness we solved the bends (laughs) it's like like gravity in sci-fi isn't it really Mm. You just, you just don't yes. explain the fact that there is gravity on spaceships. I like the fact in a uh, popular sci-fi TV show, The Expanse, they will have magna boots mm. and they even have the sound effect when they walk to let you know that there's a reason why there's no gravity. It's very face-off. Yeah. Yes, yes. And but, you do see... It and quite... face-off is very red dwarf. Sorry, yeah. Helen. That's right. You do see more films nowadays with, you know, rotating ships or something, so there would be some sort of... And we, we know which, uh, which popular TV series pioneered that particular trick, don't we, Helen? <laughs> yes, we do. President of Babsock, 1997 <laughs> to 1999. Hey, I have no shame. Babylon 5 is not a big pile of shit. <laughs> so, uh, so oh. yes. My uh, answer to this is also along the sci-fi vein, which is... Uh, Numi Rapace in Prometheus giving birth to a giant alien squid getting her stomach stapled shut and then running around for about 20 minutes and mm. she she jumps onto that spaceship and it like hits her in the stomach and I, oh the thought of that is just awful. Yeah do you know what I'm actually a little <clears throat> bit more forgiving of that one just because she is in a sort of future doctor pod right mm-hmm. so I feel like I can believe that there is a thing that makes that she's been injected with that makes that slightly more possible. Like I have more problems with the sort of people doing self-surgery in the present day. Rambo, when he gets shot in the side and he pours gunpowder in the wound and then lights it to cauterize it because he's fucking hardcore. (laughs) Love it. I brought that up in the first aid course. They told me it wasn't recommended. (laughs) You must have been so. It must have been just a series of disappointments in this course. How many bullets do you walk around with? I mean, you'd be surprised. Not really. We work in Camden, man. You can't take anything <laughs> for granted. Right. Well, I think that's probably enough on the question of first aid. And uh, and remember, if you do have an accident near the Empire offices, don't call James. I'm available. I'm available. Just pop by and I'll stitch you right up. I've been really, really, really desperate to try the uh, sort of uh, impromptu tracheotomy with the big biro thing. No. So if you're choking absolutely come in I'd love to try it again that's not first aid yeah so they kept telling me and I was like but I've seen it done it doesn't look that hard and I made him show me where you'd do it anyway even though he didn't want to so yeah I mean, that, I'm totally going to do that wrong and people will never speak again you'll sever their vo- vocal cords interesting that's not a recommendation James <laughs> not three stars no no, no. a three star tracheotomy that's what I'm that's what I'm going for well uh, Dean thank you for that question and I'm so sorry for the answer um, if you would like your question read out on the Empire podcast and uh, treated with the same level of intellectual rigour that we always bring to these things. Uh, you can, of course, uh, hit us up on Twitter. We are at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we might not see it. Uh, we're on Facebook also unimaginatively as Empire Magazine and you can email us at podcast at empireonline.com. It's time, I think, to discuss uh, this week's news. Now, it has been quite a big week for news, but the big story dominating the headlines as I speak on Thursday, obviously something enormous will happen as soon as this goes live. But the big one right now is the changes to the Oscars. So they're hmm. going to cut down the length of the telecast to only three hours. They're going to um, banish some categories to uh, a sort of edited highlights reel. Which ones? 
I mean, let's be honest, it's going to be craft categories. Okay, stop what you Because they don't care. Right. Well, no, I care. Oh, okay, stuff that only you care about. Brilliant. <sighs> I think it's disrespectful. Anyway, we'll get into this. The big news, of course, though, is, and the one that's proved most controversial, is they plan to introduce a category for the best popular film. I think you found it was best Marvel movie was actually the name well, of Well, I mean, that's the, great. The category. They'll rename it that in five years. But uh, what do we think about this? I, I mean, it's, it's obvious, isn't it? I mean, it's a bad idea. It's a terrible idea. I, I'm, I'm not even sure there's... I, I can't even see the, the flip side to this because it's, it's bad from all angles. It's bad from the angle of, so hang on, you're saying that the kind of films that would normally win Best Picture are typically not popular? Uh, is that because you think people are too dumb to appreciate them? And then you've got it from the angle of, like, uh, well, there's, there's, there's all these people out there and they seem to enjoy these films and uh, they're not the sort of thing we think should win, but perhaps we should give them something because... Let's throw them a bone. Yes, I think, you know... Uh, this this Black Panther thing they all seem so keen on. So uh, I guess I guess let's do that, and because we still need people to watch the show. Did, did well, Derek Jacobi make this decision? I'm confused. <laughs> Probably. I mean, in trying to no, um, I, sorry. Let me make that clear. He did not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think in trying to uh, engage and appeal more to the like habits of current cinema goers, you, they, you, me, young mm, people, i.e., me, yes, they've actually kind of prove themselves as being even more out of touch yes. by trying to separate this into its own category. This is very much a how do you do, fellow kids. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the scene from uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. It's like, I'm down, I've got the 411. And you're not, not going out <laughs> and getting jiggy with yes, some, some popular film. Yes. I don't care how dope its title sequence is. Yeah. It's like seeing your uncle try to rap. Yeah. It is actually it's excruciating. like that. It's so painful. I mean... Popular films do win Oscars. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you, anyone knows this, but Avatar, Avatar was nominated for an Oscar. Titanic. Titanic won a bajillion of them, as Return did of Return the of the King. King. <laughs> um, so this is a false dichotomy. I also think if you are a, uh, how do I put this, mainstream filmmaker with pretensions of grandeur, a sort of, oh, I don't know, let's call him Listopher Colon, um, <laughs> you would be absolutely distraught to be nominated in the popular film category yeah. because it is going to become a ghetto in the way that animation has become a ghetto, yeah. in the way that as soon as they realised they could nominate a great picture, Pixar movie for best animated film, there stopped being any pressure to nominate it for best film. Mm. Yes. It feels like such a regressive move after the whole thing uh, in the year that the Dark Knight was eligible, that the whole point was that they were pushing the, the uh, best picture yeah. category to be open to up to ten films and Instead of creating this new category to try and recognise popular, aka blockbuster and genre films, just recognise them in the categories you've already got. There is room and there is space for that. Mm. They seem to be running away. From, they seem to be genuinely worried that something like Moonlight can win an Oscar um, when they should be welcoming the fact that Moonlight can win an Oscar and also that Return of the King can win mm. an Oscar. It should be open to that entire spectrum of films. This feels like a they've looked at their, whatever it is, demographics for who've used the Oscars and realised that absolutely everyone is sort of over the age of 40 years old and decide we want to be relevant to the kids and this is their misjudged solution. Well, the, the thing is, you look at... Um some of the films that have come out this year that we would assume would end up in that popular film category, and you've got Black Panther, you've got Infinity War, you've got Mission Impossible Fallout. What? Who can say that, like, anyone who's listened to the Macquarie spoiler special that's out there already, there's another one coming, <sighs> who can say that the craft and the ingenuity of making that film, the quality of the film itself, should be judged on any separate level 
to I don't know the new like Cohen's yeah. film or yeah. and and that's the thing as well that this feels like a weird move coming the year after The Shape of Water won because even though that was not deserving no <laughs> no even though that was a kind of it had prestige elements to that film it was also it was a fish fucking fantasy film yeah. and it won best picture and it was judged as equal among all the other films in that category madness it's a, it's a, I, I just find it odd on so many levels. And I do want to talk about just the telecast as well. Um, they, they're worried that it's too long and that's why people don't watch it. And I think it is long. It only happens once a year. I don't think people care actually how long it is. They care how boring it is. And here's the thing that I think. I don't think awarding craft categories is boring. I don't. And I think they should be more celebrated at the Oscars. I think if the Oscars were actually serious about reforming things, they should introduce a stunt category. Mm -hmm. Maybe they should introduce a best sort of performance capture performance where they would nominate both the actor and the animation team that worked on a character. If they want to update things, those are two easy categories that they should add. Um, I mean, I don't know who watches short films, so maybe you maybe you take short films and you push them a little bit aside and you ghettoize them a little bit but the Oscars should not just be about big stars getting rewarded and not getting played off stage no matter how long they speak it should also be about the people who actually do the hard work of making films and don't get awarded 60 million dollars for the privilege getting recognized for their extraordinary work and I don't think they should be you know, mm. stuffed in the ad breaks mm. so we can have another montage of something we don't care about. I think we care about the obits. I think the song should be performed. Of course you do. I do. I know. But otherwise, I mean, a lot of the other bump that happens on stage is terrible. If you want people to watch the Oscars, get better writers, make it fun. Mm-hmm. And it's not actually the the speeches by the craftspeople that are slowing you down. It is yourselves. Although I would disagree that they should have a performance capture category. I think that that would be ghettoising. I think they should be more open to recognising performance capture roles in the acting category. No, because that's not fair to the to the animators. Well, they're two different things, isn't it? Like, I mean, maybe you judge them in two separate parts, and it becomes a more of an offshoot of a visual effects category. But I think, like. To so that's what I'm saying. It's a different category. No, no, but I think you need both. I think Andy Serkis should absolutely have been recognised in an acting category. I think what he did, uh, not so much in, in, not necessarily Lord of the Rings, but in, in the Planet of the Apes films was absolutely extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. And I think it's criminal that he doesn't re- get recognised for that. Did you just say not so much Lord of the Rings? No, yeah, not as much as... I think I think right. Caesar is so much better than Gollum. I think the stuff he did with Caesar was, was unbelievable. Okay. Uh, Gollum's good, but he's not Caesar. Yeah, I... That may I be just, controversial. It, love it. <laughs> But yeah, I, I just think this is a this is a fundamentally misconceived response that fundamentally misunderstands the problem that they're trying to. Protect. So hooray for that! So hooray for that! <laughs> well, um, I'm forgetting that. Completely but always, wrong. always, Oscars Eve here at Empire. Yeah. Uh, hey, anyway. Hey, other news? Any other news? Yeah. So there's more updates on the ongoing James Gunn. Guardians of the Galaxy, Dave Bautista saga. Yes. So the latest development in that seems to be, and again, this will probably be out of date by the time the podcast comes out because it's constantly changing, is that Marvel seem like they are going to stick with James Gunn's script. Right. Which is an interesting move because obviously it was it was his name that they were wanting to distance themselves from, but they seem to be keeping his script. And it's also said that he is being considered to direct other films within the Marvel Universe, which seems like a strange... 
That's not what James that's said. not exactly it as I understood it. What it exactly not? is is the terms of his contract mean that he's it, it means that he could still be considered right for other Disney things. Uh, whether or not it means they're actively considering him for any for other things within the MCU mm-hmm. is, is a different thing entirely. That that that's just a potential outcome because this has come out of the Hollywood Reporter to run a story today yesterday about how other studios have said, well, "Yeah, we'd hire James Gunn." But he's not ready to be hired yet because he's still got to get through all the exit negotiations, um, which it sounds like he's actually going to do pretty well out of. Um, is it ten million? Yeah, Seven? yeah. That's not bad. Yeah, because yeah, because he hasn't. He's not actually in breach of contract. Yeah. So um, it's it's going to it's, it's going to cost Disney to uh, you know to, to, to drop him. But once that's all done, I mean, yeah, I mean, there are other studios have said, yeah, we'll, we'll hire him in a jiffy. We haven't got a problem. <laughs> This whole thing has been a clusterfuck from top to bottom, hasn't it? It just yeah. feels like it's gone from one disaster to the next. It's, 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 it's the whole thing's ridiculous, I think. It's absurd uh, and disappointing. Strangely divisive, though. Like, as in, we're all, I think, largely, although Terry, I think, is, is more reserved, uh, some of us are in agreement on it, but a lot of people I've spoken to outside our immediate team have been more, shall we say, have been less understanding of of his uh, of his Twitter past and, and more well, sympathetic towards Disney, so it's not like it's this is absolutely cut and dry. I think there are definitely you know two sides that don't always involve the alt right, but mm. um, yeah, no, I, I do think it's a you know look before you leap, people look before you leap and before you you know fire people. Yes, yes mm. to that. Um, there is more superhero news. People will be astonished to learn. I'm shocked. Um, the uh, DC TV universe is uh, adding Batwoman to the CW lineup, and they have now cast her as Ruby Rose, which I think is pretty good casting. Actually, it's pretty phenomenal. She is, of course, on screen, and we will be talking about it later in the Meg mm-hmm. uh, this week. Uh, you may have seen her in Orange Is the New Black. You may have seen her in John Wick Chapter Two. Triple X Three. Well, did people see that? Okay, Triple X3. I did. She basically plays the same part she plays in the Meg. Essentially, yes, she's not far off. Um, So uh, this is the Kate Kane uh, version of the character who... uh, has a passion for social justice. She speaks her mind in the streets of Gotham. She was also the uh, first out lesbian hero, I think, in the DC universe. Yes, which is... She's certainly the first one on screen. Which is caused... Oh, well, no. Oh, no, but as a lead. Yeah. So a lot of the the news stories led with, this is the first LGBT superhero, which is absolutely untrue. Uh, Even in DC, there has been Alex Danvers, Nissa Al Ghul, I am reading this off the internet, Curtis Holt, Sarah Lance, Anissa Pierce, Leo Snart, The Ray, I don't know who any of these people are, and John Constantine, apparently. So she joins a long... Yeah, he's a bit B, isn't he? Yes, he is. Uh, Um, But she's the first sort of, I think, main series lead, is she not? No? In the CW universe? I I couldn't rightly say because I don't watch the shows, (laughs) but I am led to believe that it's not quite as as, as groundbreaking as as claimed. It's good that they've sort of cast appropriately, and I think she's a a person who will stand up for herself and for representation on the show. Uh, Carol Drees is writing and producing, um, and uh, this is all under the sort of Greg Berlanti, Sarah Schechter umbrella basically over all those shows so and in other superior news apparently nick fury and maria hill will be in the next spider-man film what, what? <laughs> is that spoiler <laughs> well no i mean look if they're willing to announce the casting news we know that they can keep these things under wraps if they want to so if they're willing to announce the news then we can hope that uh that is you know hmm. not a spoiler hmm. it's going to be interesting i mean if you if you don't want any spoilers for infinity war part two whatever it's called 
everything is a spoiler yeah. for this film. Every, no, every, knowing every, this film exists yeah. is a spoiler. Every, so. every bit of MCU casting news for anything that yeah. happening afterwards. But uh, I mean, that, that, that that's that's interesting too. I kind of like, you know, I'd like to see Nick Fury and uh, and uh, Peter Parker yeah. sharing a scene. That'd be quite fun. I think so. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Obviously, we have no idea what's going to happen in Infinity War Part 2 or whatever that's going to be called. But we are we kind of still of the opinion that either Iron Man or Cap are going to die in that? Can we not talk about this? Mm-hmm. You know how it upsets me. <laughs> Both I'm of them. I'm just thinking, if a, a big part of the dynamic of the first uh, of Spider-Man Homecoming was Peter Parker and uh, Tony Stark yeah. were kind of bouncing off each other. I wonder if, theoretically, Tony Stark is no longer in the picture after Avengers 4, maybe that dynamic will be Peter Parker and um, Nick Fury as his kind of mentor now that he is, as of uh, Infinity War, like a fully-fledged member of the Avengers as uh, Possible. crowned by uh, by Iron Man. But, yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a, a weird... A theory based on absolutely nothing about what this film's going to be, just based on the title, Spider-Man... Far from, Far from home. That mm-hmm. obviously that title partly refers to the fact they're shooting in Europe. Apparently, he's going to be leaving America. It's it's Euro I, trip with web web slingers. <laughs> I also have a feeling that there is going to be some kind of alternative reality situation. What? But that far from home, that something in the in the mending of the universe could mean that Spider Man ends up in a different <gasps> dimensional reality Maybe. and has to make his way back. So is to this the like? Main, you're seeing Spider-Man Far From Home is somehow related to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, almost. Um, yeah, or just just that similar idea of... of It's just that play on words, Far From Home, and they keep saying, like, it's got more meaning to it than that. It's like Homecoming having many meanings. That Far From Home... I think it's, it feels quite basic for it just to be, like, he's... He's Literally. not in New York right now. I Far From Home... Also, he was not in New York in the previous film. He was in New York for most of it. He just yeah. went to Washington. Yeah, went to yeah. That's like, a road trip, not, wasn't it? It's like two no, minutes I down think, the road. I think, not what if he gets home. sucked into the 90s with Captain Marvel and then you have uh, a, a millennial such as yourself unable to navigate the world of, you know, Walkman and analogue devices. You have to load a thing Carter. Yeah, exactly. And, like, trying to plug CDs into things and it'd be really entertaining. I mean, I feel like you're about an inch from telling Ben to get off your lawn, um, which is slightly, slightly worrisome. Yeah. Um, there was Gal Gadot news this week. I don't know if you saw this. Um, she is signed up, apparently, to produce and potentially star in... A mini series about Hedy Lamar, which yeah. I think is inventor quite cool. of Wi-Fi. Mm. Yes, essentially. Yeah, he, he um, was very funny in Blazing Saddles. <sighs> okay, <laughs> but uh, Hedy Lamar <laughs> actually. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> this guy gets it. <laughs> it was a laugh at Helen's beleaguered um, side. <laughs> <laughs> if you saw there, there's a uh, there was a very good documentary about her recently, um, but this is she she had a she had a life mm. she had a life she was uh, she was married to uh, a nazi sympathizer prior to world war 2 and left him literally sort of escaped in the night with her jewels sewn into her clothing and went to Hollywood and to relaunch her career there. And invent Wi-Fi. And invented a, de- a device and a system that was meant to help use radar during World War II but actually did become one of the um, founding bits 
of Wi-Fi technology, yes. Yeah. Frequency hopping. Right? That's right. Yeah, I, exactly. I think these days, anyone who helped create Wi-Fi and also binned off a Nazi is basically <laughs> yeah. like the ultimate hero right The now. ultimate hero. The hero millennials, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> she was also super beautiful, so I have to say Gal Gadot is not terrible casting because she is also like redonkulously good looking. She's, of course, in London right now filming... Uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Speaking of which, when, no, in fact, not at all, but I, when I was coming up here, uh, when I was obviously waiting for you to finish the previous podcast, I ran into Denzel Washington in the lift. What, the real Denzel Washington or the one from Game Night? The one from Game Night, actually. Wow. <laughs> Just like him. He asked me if I wanted to go back to his house. It was very awkward. No, yes, the real, the real Denzel. He's equalising in the building as we speak. He is equalising yeah. in the building. What, what are you doing here? Go interview him. Jeez. <laughs> Does that stop him from getting the Benz? <laughs> that was, I oh god kill me <laughs> no mercy for you any other news um uh robert redford has confirmed his retirement from acting yes which yes. is something i think was floating in the ether anyway but he's uh kind of reiterated that his upcoming film the old man and the gun will probably be his last role in front of the camera at least but that's also uh, him starting to move towards overall retirement. Um, he hasn't ruled out ever directing again or anything like that. But in terms of his acting roles, it looks like it's going to be his final one. And that is him playing Forrest Tucker, who is a real-life career criminal who, even in his old age, was pulling off these kind of ambitious heists and getting away with it because no one assumed it was the old man. Yeah, no one expects the... Spanish Inquisition. Or the, or the man... The nice old man yeah. with the nice suit. Um, yeah, that's a David Lowry film, isn't it? With yes. uh, Casey Affleck once again, who appeared in Ghost Stories, albeit not under a sheet this time. You may be glad to know. Or or is he? I don't know. If I'd seen it, I couldn't say. But I haven't, so that's okay. But yeah, this is, a, this is at the end of a career that has spanned six decades. Um, and, and peaked with sneakers, which I think we can all agree <laughs> is one of the most outstanding achievements in cinema. Or did it sneak with peakers? <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. Such a good film. Go if watch you it. haven't, yeah, if you haven't seen Snakers, get after it. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen enough Robert Redford films. Oh, well, you want to see this one? If only for the Ben Kingsley line, "I cannot kill my friend, kill my friend." Very good. Yeah, <laughs> you have to be there. You have to be there. <laughs> yes. All right. Fine. So, what was what was what's your Robert Redford film then? Oh, 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 God. Um, 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 well, actually, it's weird. Someone reminded me about The Last Castle recently, actually. Yes, I love that. And it was written and directed by Rod Lurie, yeah. who used to write for Empire. Yeah, and that is a superb film. Um, but, you know, Captain America, uh, when Sultan... No, no. no, hey. He's, 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 he's great in it. He's um, good in it. I mean, Butch and Sundance, duh, you know. Although I wasn't as much of a fan of The Sting... As, really? as a lot of people, that's no, not yeah. massively into the sting. But there's this, this. I mean, Jeremiah Johnson. I've got, oh, I've never watched, film. and I don't know why, because it looks like my kind of thing. Yeah, it's very good. Um, but yeah, no. But there's, there's a lot of Redford. I mean, all the President's Men, probably. I would say is my yeah, favourite. That's that's a pretty. That's a hard one to get past. Actually, yeah. I think is is great. Um, I was watching uh, the way we were recently. Him and Barbara Streisand. Mm. It's really hard to watch young Robert Redford. He's like blindingly beautiful to an extent which is like well that's just ridiculous like people <laughs> don't look like that come on don't be stupid mm. it's and and that is that film is peak don't be stupid that's he, insane he, he was like the chris hemsworth of his time honestly he's better looking i don't think we have one of those now he's he's just stupidly good looking it's it's just not realistic i mean just like face wise just the whole wise, like the whole of it everything. like it's just it's not it's mm-hmm. not reasonable like that's just not a thing. I don't <laughs> understand it. He he is actually Helen. young Robert Redford is like 
that's what Angel and the X-Men should look like and that's why it was so wrong that they cast Ben Foster. It's just like he's <laughs> he should be just on a like no but he should what? just be on a totally other level that's just stupid. Like they then then cast that bloke from EastEnders in that last one as Angel. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there you go. Um but no, I th- I think uh, he's 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 had he's had multiple hits every decade. His fir- his first directorial uh, effort was Ordinary People, which then won, I think, all the Oscars, um, even Best Popular Film. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he he kind of helped Brad Pitt launch his career with uh, A River Runs Through It. He's He's been he's been great. Uh, he, just a couple of years ago, All Is Lost was a phenomenal performance. Oh, God, mm. yes, of course. Of course. course. Otherwise known as Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> I, I don't believe that was one of the official Look titles. Look it up on IMDb, it's true. Oh, wait, no, you're right. The uh, popular vote did call it uh, Bodie McBoatface. Wow, there it is. Uh, but yes, uh, hopefully, I, I would say he'll be missed, but we obviously have one more film to uh, look forward to, and hopefully he'll just change his mind and somebody will come to him with something great and he'll I come agree. back. So, yeah, hopefully this is not the last we've seen of Robert Redford, but if it is, thank you very much. For the being only, ridiculous. The only news I have to offer is that it's uh, two rescue breaths for 30 chest compressions done at 120 compressions per minute. And shouting, talk to me, goose, while you're doing it is apparently not recommended. Okay. I would have thought the talk to me, goose thing would work You'd if they thought. were a Top Gun fan anyway. Yeah. But wow. in, in uh, film and first aid coming together, isn't it you're supposed to use the beat of staying alive? When you're doing, you? yeah, <laughs> they didn't teach the, me that. That if you're doing CPR on somebody, uh, the kind of amount of kind of chest presses you do would be. Uh, 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 is that 120 uh, beats per minute? Alive, that's genius. That, that is like that's the rhythm <laughs> and appropriate. So that's good. So I hope you're all paying attention. <laughs> Genuinely, to that. that is the best fact I was not taught on my course, which I'm now going to absorb. Thank you. Oh, well, you so you're teaching is, you that fact, but he didn't want to bring up a movie in your presence. Yeah, you or it would have ended yeah. badly for him. You would have just yeah. stripped yeah. it out. But you would have said, actually, Staying Alive is the title of the sequel, directed by Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> that did sound a lot like James. Yes, um, yes it was. Also this week, it is New Empire Time, and this week's magazine is the uh, fantastic one. We've got collectible covers, mm-hmm. multiple Six. different covers that you can try, um, including the obviously gorgeous subscribers cover. And this is our greatest Star Wars characters. Of all time. Of all time. Well, of the, yeah, since Star Wars. Um, poll, which was voted for by you, the public. Mm-hmm. If you don't agree with it, it's your fault, not ours. Um, you'll never guess who Han Solo number one is. Uh, it's a it's a massive revelation, uh, but that is a fantastic feature going back through a lot of Star Wars history. There are some surprising people further down the list. I think it's a, it's an interesting uh, lineup. What else do we have in this week's mag? In this week's this month's mag. What do you want to well, highlight? Related a- to the cover feature is the greatest uh, photo shoot I think we've ever done with Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> yes, which is amazing. And he brought his lightsaber, and it was spectacular. He brought his. Of course, he brought his lightsaber. Yeah. It's got BMF. It does. It, it does, and oh, that's dad. Yes, yes. Nick spoke to him, and it was great. Yes. Speaking of the coolest man alive, we also have the other one. Uh, Idris Elba's in there as well. Corin Hardy talks us through the Nun. Uh, we look back at the Naked Gun, one of the all-time great stupid movies. Having just talked about the Meg uh, in preview, we look ahead to Creed Two, which is one of the sequels I think we're most excited about this year. We've got Alita: Battle Angel. Bumblebee, the, our great new hope for a good Transformers movie. Uh, we, we reviewed, or I reviewed, Black Klansman uh, in, in the on-screen section. We've got Ant-Man and the Wasp, obviously, in there. The new season of Orange is the New Black. Steven Soderbergh talks us through Sex, Lies and Videotape 25 years on. 
ghost uh, stories. Uh, we've got Jane Campion talking about the piano. This is a fantastic issue, and it is yours in all good, evil, and chaotic neutral uh, news agents. <laughs> I I heartily approve of your D and D reference. Amazing. Thank you. I don't that really understand amazing. what it means, but I try. Uh, it is. Nobody it is understands out there. chaotic neutral. That's the thing about chaotic neutral. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but seriously, uh, go out and buy it. You will not regret it. And and if you can choose a cover, that's the question. Can you do it? Maybe. Can I just say one of the, I did a delightful interview for that issue with uh, Bruce Dern for Pint of Milk. Oh yes. And at the end of it, he was really nice. He said, he said to me, he said to me, "You're delightful, sir." He said, "When this interview's over, go to a mirror, look at yourself in the mirror, and give yourself a wink because you got game." That is amazing. And all I did was also talk to creepy. him. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> did you do it? Yes, I actually literally how, how did, did it. Make do you it. Feel? it made me feel a bit weird. No, how? it made me feel really good. <laughs> But it was, he, was, he, was, he was super lovely. He comes across as a bit cranky in the interview, but he was super lovely. Awesome. Um, I, I should also say that uh, while we're doing cross-promotion and synergy, the Empire podcast is going to be live again on September 7th at the King's Place at the London Podcast Festival. Tickets are still available on the King's Place website. Just look for the Empire podcast and you can come along and join us that night. It is going to be mega! I hope, probably. I mean, it's going to be a bunch of idiots talking nonsense, I mean, but we'll be also there. mega. That's... Mecca. that's... Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be mega. Okay, I think it's time for a guest now. And our guest this week is the lovely Hayley Atwell. Her first work as an actress was in a Pringles ad. And apparently once Hollywood popped, they couldn't stop. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, she's appeared since in Brideshead Revisited, uh, Testament of Youth. And, uh, of course, as the unstoppable Agent Peggy Carter in Captain America, etc., etc., etc. A woman so awesome that men need super serum just to date her. So uh, she came in recently to talk to... Who did she talk to? Chris Hewitt. Chris I Hewitt. She talked to Chris Hewitt about her new film, Christopher Robin, where she plays Evelyn Robin, the wife of the aforementioned Christopher, who used to have a teddy bear when he was small. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the star of Christopher Robin, Hayley Atwell. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to be in this lovely, new, fresh-smelling hotel room. How this beautiful, is... with the air conditioning, which is a relief from outside. And I just turned it off for the purposes of recording. But this is only 25 minutes, so okay. I don't think we're going to melt. Right. Okay. Uh, we are British, so we should probably talk about the weather, first of all. <laughs> How has it been? Uh, have you? I've been away for two and a half months, but I was, in the, I was filming okay. in the Dominican Republic that didn't okay. have air conditioning where we were filming, so that was so sweltering. Um, so I think that as much as like my family and friends back here were complaining about the, the heat wave, I too <laughs> was suffering over there. So I think it's been a hot year for everyone. Yeah, yeah, it has been, has been. It's almost mm. as if there's some sort of global warming thing happening. Well, I apparently don't really... that's fake news. So fake news, you know, knows, I don't know anything about that. But, uh, I, but so have you, been, uh, have you been checking in every now and again with, with friends and family and they're going, it's so hot. It's, yeah, it's, they've just been kind of scorching. I mean, a lot of people are loving it, they can keep cool. But I just, I love the, London just becomes a different kind of city when the sun's out. I feel people are very happy and they talk to each other. Happier, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Although I think now everyone is over it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone just wanted to stop. Yeah, exactly. I know. I agree. I'm a bit angry. I'm a bit lethargic. It's <laughs> yeah. Just, just go just away. Just like wasps at the end of summer, just walking oh. around kind of almost like drunk. I got, I got dinged in the forehead by a wasp yesterday. It just, you know, yes, just came straight at me in slow motion and... Do you know when I was doing Cinderella, when I was filming that, there's a scene, and we only shot it in one take, so in that particular take, and I'm at the door and I'm saying goodbye to, I think, to my husband, a wasp flew up my skirt and stung me on the leg. What? In the take. And I, on action, it happened, and I didn't react, and then on cut, I went... Oh. 
<laughs> and it flew out again. Yeah. Wow. And then I told the costume des- the supervisor who was there, and she was like, and you didn't react. I was like, no, I'm a professional. I couldn't <laughs> stop the take just because I got stung by a wasp. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that's in the movie. So this is a completely random act. This wasn't uh, Ken Branagh training stunt wasps <laughs> to uh, attack his cast. Yeah, just uh, yeah, a little yeah. bit of a yeah, rogue director move just yeah. to get a performance out yeah, of Yeah, just me. to get a reaction. Just, I just test to see how professional she is. <laughs> yeah, what can I do? Yeah. Unleash the wasps. Oh, my God. Have you ever been stung before, before that? Uh, no, it was the first time. Oh, God. Yeah. See, I, I've never been stung. Uh, it, and I'm terrified. It's the pain that happens afterwards. It's, it's the kind of, oh, and then the... Oh, ow, actually, that really hurt. And then this kind of thing, you just, it's bizarre. It's the shock of it. And then the yeah. pain comes afterwards, like oh so many God. things in life. Oh my God, yeah, precisely. <laughs> like podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> in fact. Yeah, I'll, I'll be in pain when I listen back to it. Oh yeah, no, no never do that. Never do that. <laughs> no. Do you listen back to your interviews? Do you watch your no, interviews? No, 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 no. I, I hardly ever watch my own performances. I, I find it... I've watched this one because I, there's so much more I wanted to see than just what I was doing, which is, you know, the the, the, the animation, the skill behind it all and the other performances. You McGregor um, is so lifelike in this. I could not, I could not get over it. You never know. He was just full of fluff. <laughs> He's just straw you know, and fluff. Just straw and fluff. Yeah. And uh, his head is entirely wasps. Yeah. <laughs> that, have, that, have been, that have been trained to give a performance. Yes, his tops are made out of... Um, Rubbers, bottoms made out of springs. I mean, yeah, he's an amalgam of all the creatures. That's that's what I heard. Yeah. That's what I heard. Famously, uh, Bob Hoskins, when he was making Hoover and Roger Rabbit, went a little bit mad. Did you hear about this? You ever no, did? I didn't. He, went, he began hallucinating weasels really? and creatures when he went home. He would, because you know, he, he was doing it for months on yeah, end, pretending yeah. things weren't there. Yeah. And, and I suppose back then they would have had less than we have now in terms of filling in the gaps of the CGI. And much the, less. Yeah, yeah. I mm. don't even think they had tennis balls mm. back then. Oh my gosh. They, they couldn't probably afford not. tennis balls. Of course, they, they came out in probably the, what, the early 2000s, didn't they? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah tennis didn't exist until no, the early 2000s. Exactly, yeah. uh, so he, he started hallucinating weasels and rabbits and sundry other creatures. Uh, what about you? Are you Is, is Pooh here right now? Uh, the bear, not the animal. Anyway, uh, is, is Winnie the Pooh here? Have you seen an Eeyore? Is there anything else, anything behind me? The We did get used to kind of talking directly at the animals. And so at the beginning, it was hard to stare at the animal object in front of you but listen to the voice of it which is coming from off camera and obviously when someone talks to you or at you you tend to turn in the direction the sound is coming from <laughs> so that took a little bit of time to go uh, uh, reacting to the thing that's in front of me instead yeah um but then when you got used to it, it was second nature and we would treat them like they were, you know, the stars of the show and like, let's bring yeah, in, they'd yeah. be called, they were called the hero stuffies. <laughs> so there were different levels of them. So there'd be the stuffed animals, which were, looked exactly like the ones that you see in the film, but they weren't obviously animated. And then you had the version, which was for the visual uh, department to be, uh, to, to kind of use later on in post-production, which was the headless gray canvas versions of them, which suddenly we felt like we're in a Guillermo del Toro horror movie. Oh my God. And then there was just a a rod with a light on it and the light came on every time the characters were meant to be speaking and then sometimes there was nothing so it was like the disintegration of poo <laughs> as he went along um, but I think what felt weird was how it felt normal by the end and it, and you need you know, Piglet came to the premiere last night I don't know if you know about this but Bron- I didn't know Bronte Carmichael was given Piglet at the end she played Madeline our yeah. daughter and um, her grandmother had made a tuxedo outfit for Piglet and he wore that to the premiere last night and then she took Piglet back to the hotel and then went out for dinner and when she came back from dinner the hotel concierge had put Piglet in a tiny little doll's bed and oh my 
know, God. shoes beside the bed. Like that's how wonderful this hotel is. So we all we we treated these stuffed animals with the reverence that they deserve, given how how you know how old they are. And, yeah, you know, and how you know they they deserve that kind of status. Is there a learning curve for this sort of stuff, or given the fact that you've been in various Marvel movies and I imagine had that whole green screen experience? probably mm. on the first cap, mm-hmm. uh, particularly, mm. uh, you don't really need to, you know, to relearn all this stuff. That you're, you know, it's, it's fine. I've, think, I've worked with nothing before. Yeah, and I think more, more so the fact that you, come, you do spend three years of drama school, which some could call as like an exercise in, in humiliation. Um, <laughs> but when you've spent three years going like, today we're going to learn how to be an element. I'm going to be fire today. Um, or I'm going to do an interpretive dance of an abstract painting. <laughs> oh, wow. You go... Okay. This is fine. It yeah. literally, I think, prepares you to throw yourself into situations and just keep saying yes to them. Yeah. Um, so this felt like a walk in the park compared to the, <laughs> what I put myself through back then. Wow. Mm. Okay. So interpretive dance of an abstract painting. Yeah. And I know this is a podcast, Alien. I know you're not a performing monkey, yeah. but please, please. It was, it was very much kind of, it was a bit like a Kate Bush video, to be honest. <laughs> Um, it was that. It was that. I, yeah. I, I like to say it was a bit. It was a bit kind of early Pina Bausch. Well, here's the good thing: um, there's, but... <laughs> there's no right or wrong answer, right? So if you're just not on a podcast because you can't no. see what I'm doing. Well, uh, Haley's waving her arms around <laughs> a bit like an early Kate Bush music video type thing. Yeah, it was very yeah. curly. Lots of no, yeah. no right angles. Just lots. Of, no, it was lots of lots yeah, of that. Lots of, yeah. yeah, abstract. Yeah, abstract. Abstract. It can be. You anything. might say. Yeah. As an actor, there must be a point whenever you finished drama school and you get your first second third role and things are terrifying at that mm, point mm, I imagine when was the first time you, you were asked to step outside your comfort zone when was the first time there was something that actively terrified you when the night before you thought oh my god I don't know how to do this I don't even know if I want to do this yeah I uh, oh god many 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 times early in my career for sure and I think the early early years of my acting career was about managing f- terror <laughs> Oh, really? And stress, yeah, because... Um, and do they teach you that stuff? Uh, or is that something yeah, you have to manage well, your own? the weird thing is that you, 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 you've gotten into drama school because you have potential to be able to make a living out of this. They yeah. see that you have enough talent and raw materials that you could create some sort of craft, hopefully, that allows you to do this professionally. So... Mm. In those three years, you learn about the craft itself, and you get you get comfortable in in coming outside of your comfort zone, but with an, a vocabulary of theatre and a language that makes sense. But yeah, then you come out of drama school, and then there's this whole thing of a business. There's a whole thing of an what is an agent and how you prepare for an audition, how you dress for an audition, how you're trying to understand the vision of that particular director. Um, it's That's a whole other world. Then the technical side of knowing what your mark is and knowing how to um, adapt or change your performance slightly given the size of the shot, the camera. And all of that is a learning experience. When I came out of drama school, it's, it felt like the beginning of an apprenticeship rather than my professional life beginning. But um, I think was one. I think there was one time when I was still in drama school in my third year, and I'd gotten an agent, and they said, "Do you want to come and do a scene in a TV show?" It was called Whatever Love Means, with okay. um, Olivia Poulet and Lawrence Fox as playing Charles and Camilla, and I was um, offered a scene that got cut, and it was, and I don't think it had any lines, or I maybe <laughs> had one line, and then I had to just sit down on a chair and then be told that that chair was an antique and stand up promptly. <laughs> That's all I had to do, wow. and I was 
utterly terrified. And I would, and most of the experience was just sitting around in a trailer waiting, going, what am I doing? Why is it not, what's happening? And when you first go onto a set, it's a feeling of why there's so many people standing around doing nothing. Yeah. And you realise that, over a while you go oh oh I think we're waiting on that one light to be rigged up there yeah, so yeah, what yeah. looks like a building site where nothing's really happening there's yeah. something very specific going on that we're waiting for um yeah so that I mean I think you know there's still moments of terror <laughs> really even now <laughs> mm, yeah I think so I think there's maybe not terror but um an accepted uh opportunity to be brave <laughs> I see them as like going like, oh my god, this is terrifying too. This is an opportunity to be brave. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, so of course. I've just changed the word slightly. <laughs> Excellent. I like it. I know actors hate auditioning. Is that something that you? Yeah. Uh, you do aud- yeah, I've you never don't audition much like these days. I love an audition. Yeah, no one ever does that. Yeah, it's very, it is very bizarre. Um, yeah, I still audition for sure. Yeah, and it depends. I mean, sometimes I'm lucky to be offered things, mm-hmm. but then other things that I know they're going to be highly coveted and people wanting them. There's going to be more. Conti- competition for them then of course you've got to go in so the director can get a sense of who's going to be the best fit for the part and for their vision so um you know when you hear that of of you know actors who you think why would they be auditioning for this and i think it's a great thing to still be doing so it's a very humbling experience going in and i think to get good at audition technique is crucial for an actor coming up drama school i mean when i was at drama school i remember there were actors who were so brilliant but very in- naturally introverted mm. and i would see them doing things at drama school that was just like this is this person is really special but then not know how to do audition technique and yeah. would sh- and be so shy that it they wouldn't it wouldn't be able to perform to the best of their abilities yeah, and then realizing like it's a completely different skill so what's the secret not that you want to give people a secret because then everyone will be going in no, exactly. knowing what to do. No, exactly. give secrets. Okay. Yeah, but it is a form of hypnotherapy. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And, and, um, <laughs> and sending money in, in advance. I thought so. I thought so. You know, hypnotherapy yeah, and cash bribes. Cash in hand. Yeah, it's good. I'm Lauren Brown Envelope. There you mm-hmm. go. Thanks very much. I'll see you, I'll see you in three weeks' time for the start weeks. of the shoot. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. Or sometimes just turning up on set day one, even if you haven't been cast. <laughs> but just making sure you're like an hour early before the person who has been cast. And then what, you chloroform? the person um, who's been cast uh, I mean yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much yeah if yeah I mean <laughs> you've done much. that you've done that way before you know you've checked them down <laughs> oh you've 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 taken them out yeah you take them out yeah oh yeah all right. them, or then the your car yeah <laughs> excellent so the uh, the process for this movie did that involve impressing Winnie the Pooh uh, impossible you can't impress Winnie the Pooh he's a living legend mm. um, he's, uh, is, he a, is he a jaded cynical hack off camera because he's so Utter lovely on, in the I film. mean, yeah, he's a chain-smoking um, <laughs> diva. Calls everyone darling, but then, but in a patronising way. <laughs> uh, always eats too much at lunch and then complains that it wasn't good enough. <laughs> serious flatulence problem as well. Yeah. Um, no, he, uh, yeah, we we did treat them like they were, you know, with with the um, the, the status that they deserve. <laughs> it did. It didn't feel. It felt. It felt walking into a very beloved world that was already known, even by me. I, you know, we all know, at least know of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Um, even if we don't, we haven't read the books. I had, and so I was familiar with some of the stories. So even when you're working with a stuffed animal, it's very easy to use your imagination to guess how Winnie the Pooh would react in a, cer- a certain situation. Yeah. Um, so the yeah. So and it felt very you know endearing. You know, you'd walk in onto the set at Shepperton, and then you see Piglet's house and Pooh's house and. 
I brought my godson onto set and he's only five and yeah. he went into Piglet's house and he started sweeping up in like little haycorn <laughs> shells. It was really cute because oh he was God. about the size that um, could fit in a house like that. It was, it was pretty cute because it's amazing to see kids st- still immediately warming to the stories of Winnie the Pooh and thinking this is, oh, this is the kind of character that transcends time. That's what I love. The last time you were on the Empire podcast was to talk about Cinderella, hmm. which is another Disney icon. Hmm. Winnie the Pooh is a Disney icon. Can't let you leave here without talking about another Disney icon, mm. Peggy Carter. Mm. I mean, <laughs> is there any is there any updates in the, from the world of Peggy? Sometimes I call up Feige to ask him the same question. Yeah, should um, we do it now? Okay. <laughs> we just call him up. Now? What time is it in LA right it now? Is, it's probably six, seven in the morning. No, no, it's fine. It's, to, it's 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 eight in the morning. It's eight in the morning. No, he's he's it's awake. Fine, he'll be he's on his awake. way. He's on his way to work. He's getting coffee. Yeah, I. Yeah, it's amazing that you never know what job is going to have a lasting impact. Obviously, she has, and Marvel have done an amazing job at that uh, that winning formula of that particular franchise of the comic books of t- telling these stories with that kind of wit and tongue and cheek humor and um, incredible action. You know, um, and I felt also lucky that when I first played her, they they just let me do what I wanted. <laughs> and um, I was really grateful to that, you know, because as a young actor who was unknown to yeah. be put into what feels almost like a, a huge machine associated with, you know, the 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 intimidating idea of what Hollywood is or a big system. Um, I was lucky I didn't feel like that. I didn't. I felt I felt welcome and it felt that I was just I was this was another job and I will treat it with the you know as I should any job which is to turn up on time and know what I'm doing and be nice (laughs) to people um so I had a really positive experience of it really and then also you know I finished playing her three years ago now it's three years you know I've done lots of different things since then it's amazing that she still has had a lasting impact and if there was one character that would follow me around a little bit the fact that it's Peggy is lovely I I think it's because a lot of people still feel aggrieved that the show was cancelled and they they still want to see you play that character and I think Marvel do too I think the the cancellation of the show was never to do with Marvel's choice or a creative choice but more of a corporate one from the network Feige were to just you know ping you a e- uh, text right now or you know somehow get hold of my number and just call the guy here Haley Atwell's on the podcast pitch me the idea pitch me the idea of where pe- where is Peggy what's she doing well, and is it her own film last time we saw her she was in a coffin ah okay but that doesn't mean she's dead <gasps> so, so I can play her as a 96 year old you can play her as a 96 year old Are you, you're probably aware of the film Badass, Buried super, no, superhero granny <laughs> superhero granny Superhero Granny in a coffin and uh, she bursts out of the coffin and helps the Avengers kick Thanos' oh, ass. That's fantastic. Should we, uh, should we talk to Kevin? We yeah, can, we can, we can make it happen. It. I am we can up make for it happen. It. I think it will help tackle ageism in Hollywood as well. <laughs> I think it would. Yeah. Would you be up for the makeup for such a prolonged period of time? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, the, the, it's a, when we did the Winter Soldier, it was a combination of CGI and prosthetics and we yeah. tried lots of different things. Um, and yeah, so... Um, there's a way of doing it where there was one prosthetics where you get quite sweaty underneath it <laughs> and it's really uncomfortable and you can't move your face that much so she would be quite uh, she'd, she wouldn't be a very expressive Peggy well that's she'd fine like she'd had a lot of Botox or something because the reason she's in the coffin is because people think she's dead but she's actually only she's been paralysed by Hydra <gasps> can she be injected with the blue serum of course she and can and you know how the blue serum ex- it just accentuates whatever is your natural innate quality yes so I think what would be great is if she, she took the blue serum and then she just became rogue she became really evil <laughs> and then you realise that actually she'd been put on a big front of being the good guy and she was actually holy shit Hail Hydra, yeah, all that, all that Hydra. stuff. Oh my God! An old, uh, yeah, an old Hail Hydra reigning granny. 
Oh my god! Well, I think Marcus McFeely listened to this podcast, so yay! Hey guys! If it, well, they may not anymore, but uh, <laughs> I know that they did in the past. So if they have, and if they are listening to this, then if they're not writing this immediately, then what the hell's wrong? What is going on? It's, Maybe it's the fact I've defaced the name. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Peggy is evil. Yeah. She's ninety-six and she's busting out of her coffin. No, what, no, guys? Haley. No, yeah. this is why you never act. gonna return my call. Why we write? Exactly, no. exactly. There's a division of labour here, and there's a reason why. <laughs> Get in your box. Get back in the coffin. <laughs> Get back in the box. Um, speaking of which, I mean, when did you find out that Peggy was being offed via text message in, in uh, Civil War? I was there. I was there for that film, that that scene. Okay. Yeah, I was visiting the set because I've got so many mates that are on that and some of them who had been crew members on the series. Uh-huh. And I also have a cousin that lives in Atlanta, so I went to visit it. And I was there when he got the text and, uh-huh. you know, very sweetly and Did you send the text? Yeah. <laughs> just... I can smell you from here. Um, <laughs> stop looking so frowny. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, it was lovely. It was very moving. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. One thing we have on the podcast, Haley, is a thing called the IMD Bunker. Mm. Okay, so mm. we know the IMDb is a wonderful resource, mm-hmm. but it's also filled with information about people that is sometimes, not to put too fine a point on it, bullshit. Mm-hmm. So well said. Uh, I want to take you through some of the some things. Debunking. That, I love a bit of debunking, debunking of an afternoon. Because I was going through your trivia section on the IMDb, and it is filled with gems. <laughs> okay. And... I want to know how many of these are true. Go okay, on, here go we go. On, go on, give it to me. Can do ventriloquism with her mouth closed. I suck inside and I can't get out! Help me! Fuck me. <laughs> that is terrifying, but also it's brilliant. It's really strange! <laughs> <laughs> That's but Lauren amazing. next door laughing. I genuinely, I genuinely thought, <laughs> Lauren, you got to see this. you got to see it. I honestly You've thought gone red. that was going to really be. No, I genuinely thought that was going to be. God, look here! God, look here! I thought it was going to be that. That's incredible. When did you learn to do that? That's that's really freaky. When I was really little, when I was six years old. Yeah, it's actually hereditary. My mum can do it. She taught me how. It's like one of the gifts that we have running through our family. How has this not happened in a Marvel movie? <laughs> this is yes. your power. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. That's the most incredible thing anyone's ever done on a podcast. That's extraordinary. All right. Uh, you can't top that, but At age eight, you became a committed vegetarian after seeing Lloyd Grossman put a live lobster into boiling water. Yes, and I thought they were screaming. And now, then someone told me that it's just air escaping from their shells. But still, I was like, that's cruel and I was like mum I was actually seven so that's incorrect ah and debunked I, uh, debunked <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah. But I did become a committed vegetarian until I got to the age of 18 and then was playing rugby while doing my A-levels and I got quite gaunt. And this was also back in the day where I'd been brought up pretty much on microwave meals and I, I didn't have a very healthy vegetarian <laughs> diet. So I wasn't able to, you know, get all my protein and my nutrients. So wow. I ended up going back to meat. Okay. And what's the current status? Meat, vegan, Bit vegetarian? Bit pescatarian thing going pescatarian. on. Yeah, I tend to kind of be one of those twats who um, make sure that, oh, it's terrible to say, I'm calling myself a twat here, not other people doing this are twats. But uh, for the people <laughs> who think they are twats, I'm I'm calling it before you do, so you You've can't You've self-identified as a twat. Yeah, just okay. so that I'm, it's a protective shield against people okay, who want to judge good. me. But, um, you know, people who say that they, they, they eat meat when they know where it's been sourced. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, and I think ethically and environmentally, it's a wise thing to do. 
I, absolutely, I'm fully on board. Uh, Did you have a burger for lunch? I always have a burger for lunch. <laughs> Her first on-screen role, your first on-screen role, was in a Pringles TV commercial. Yes Indeed. or no? It paid for my first yes. year of, of drama school. Amazing. What did you have to do? I had to go on a masterclass in learning how to pop a Pringle in my mouth very quickly. <laughs> I did, I promise you. And then how to make it the shape of duck lips with them and then eat that. What? You know, the ones, you, so you put it on your, you know when they, they put them on their tongue and then they bite yeah, 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 yeah. once. You to, That's not how you eat a Pringle. That's not how you eat a Pringle. I, I wouldn't know. I haven't eaten them since. Really? I, I ate too You're many You're not a Pringletarian. No, not, well, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I think I ate my lifetime supply in that, that one commercial experience. <laughs> what flavour were they? Oh, salt vinegar. Obviously. Obs. Obs. Of course. All right. Okay, one more. And you've mm. already admitted, you've already confirmed this is true, but I, I'm fascinated by this. Head girl of your high school. Mm-hmm. You played rugby up until age 18. Mm-hmm. How, why, when, where, what, and who? <laughs> Basically, that's not my six questions about that. How did you get into rugby and why did you stop at age 18? Uh, because I left that school and when I, I, I started a philosophy and theology degree at King's College and then thought, oh, if I'm going to continue rugby, I better go for the rugby tryouts at the university and then okay. discovered that they were all not the same size as me. They were like double the size and I hadn't <laughs> a hope in hell. Um, and then, so yeah, we played rugby at school because the London Oratory where I did my A-levels was uh-huh. um, you know, known for playing rugby and so I joined up mainly because it gave me direct access to the hottest guys in the year. <laughs> uh, and then the I beefcakes. Yeah, the beefcakes. And then um, also I just thought that's where um, I'm just going to look cool. And um, I got an award, most improved player. Oh, great. <laughs> which meant I started off really badly. I just got a little bit better. Then, Did you uh, make the team? I did, yeah. I made the team. So I played for two years and okay, uh, loved it. It was scrum half and prop and different times of my rugby career. And so then you just stopped and you haven't... Stopped, here we go. But yeah. so I can, I, can, uh, I can definitely still tackle when needs be. And it actually was very useful for me for doing all the stunts for Peggy Carter because it just meant yes. I went headfirst into things really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> With no fear. Evan's going, what the fuck? What, what is she <laughs> doing? What is she doing? <laughs> Get off the floor. <laughs> yeah. All right, one last one because this, mm. this is a cracker. Um... During your performance in the play The Pride, mm. you had to change from 1950s housewife to a modern-day career woman in a six-second costume change. I did. So we had it down in the technical rehearsals to about 11 seconds, and the director pulled me aside and he said, what's really going to sell this and it's going to wow the audience is if we can cut this down to six seconds. And I was like, no, impossible, can't do it. I'm already out of breath. I don't know if I'm coming or going, what my name is, what, what am I doing, who I am, I, what? <laughs> And managed to practice it enough times to get it down. And it was to do with having three uh, costume um, department members backstage. Right. And I, would, I was wearing je- uh, like jeggings that were pulled up <laughs> underneath a 1950s trench coat that had uh-huh. the, the, the hem of a, of a dress stapled, like d- sewn into it. So it looked like I was wearing a dress under a trench coat, but it wasn't. It was just the hem of it underneath oh. the coat. And then, and also underneath it had a stripy t-shirt. So I had to kick my shoes off, throw my bag to someone, um, take off the trench coat, pull my, jeg- my leggings down, uh-huh. and then be given a pair of glasses in an oven glove and then run onto And this is all as I was moving from one side of the stage to the other backstage and then coming on <laughs> set. And then, yeah. Um, and then one day I remember coming coming down and in the middle of the change, so we're probably in like 2.5 seconds part of the six second okay, bit, yeah. I then looked down and realised I'd forgotten to put the t-shirt on, so I was in a bra. So <laughs> I panicked and turned up in the scene wearing the an unbuttoned 1950s trench coat with uh-huh. a hanging hem, a pair of jeans, my bra and an oven glove. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, utter identity crisis. Yeah. Everyone's wearing it. We've all been there. I mean, yeah, it's started the a fashion. trend. Started it is it. Trend. It's the trend. Uh, brilliant. Hayley, it's been an absolute pleasure. None of those yeah. were debunked. Officially, apart from the age thing. Oh, the age thing. Yeah, oh, well yeah, done, yeah. IMDb. That's good. That's good. Uh, final thing, before I, before I let you go, uh, you were great on Twitter. Come back to Twitter. Oh, but I'm on Instagram. Yeah, but that's an image Instagram. tells a thousand words. That's what they say, but you know, oh, I just get into too many fights on Twitter. I get that, too because also a... sarcasm and irony don't translate in tone, especially when you've got an American audience. <laughs> this is true. You just get into trouble all. But you can the time. do all sorts of things with filters these days: a mute, and the mute word, and mute function, God. and you can, you know. Okay. Because like you, you follow, if you've got Instagram, will you follow me on Instagram? Instead? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, do yeah, it. Do done. It. Uh, right. Immediately after this, uh, we'll sort Feige out and then I'll do that. Sort pitch him the Super Gran. It's done. Rebunk. Yeah, that's done. Consider it done. Done. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. I'll see you in a second about six months' time. All right, mate. See you Hell then. Yeah, well, thanks. Cheers. Bye. Yes, I may be away from the pod booth on top secret business that I can't even begin to tell you about, lest some goons separate my nethers from my regions. But that doesn't mean I can't bring you my recommendations for this week on Sky Cinema, which, as we all know, gives you unlimited access to the best movies at home, whenever and wherever you want, in the best possible way. They have over a thousand quality movies on demand, ready for me or you to enjoy whenever I or you want. New to Sky Premier HD this weekend is Matthew Fawn's bombastic, bloated, never-boring sequel to Kingsman The Secret Service, it's Kingsman the Golden Circle and sees Taron Egerton return as Eggsy, the boy from the streets of London who's become a gentleman super spy. However, when the Kingsman organisation is targeted for destruction by the evil drug dealer Poppy, played by Julianne Moore, Eggsy and Merlin must team with their US counterparts, the Statesmen, and an old friend. Fawn once said to me that if you didn't like the first Kingsman, you'll hate this one. But it also stands to reason that if you liked or loved the first one, you'll feel similarly about this. Because Fawn throws everything but the kitchen sink at this with wildly over-the-top action scenes, a fantastic cast including Channing Tatum, Jeff Bridges, Halle Berry, Mark Strong, the aforementioned Taron Egerton and Julianne Moore, and of course, that old friend. And there's Elton John kicking someone in the face as well. I think this one's bloody hilarious, but one thing is for sure, Fawn is not playing it safe, so be warned. My second recommendation comes from the new Denzel Washington collection on Sky Cinema. And you know where you are with Denzel Washington. He is one of the world's best actors. He is dripping with charm and charisma. And increasingly, he's one of the best Jerry action stars around, kicking butt, when many of us would be dribbling into porridge whilst watching Countdown. And that Denzel, the new action hero Denzel, invigorates The Equalizer, a solid punch-packing adaptation of the classic Iwa Wuwa TV show in which he plays Robert McCall, a former CAA operative who likes to right wrongs. Directed by Antoine Fuqua, who first worked with Denzel, getting him his Oscar, of course, on training day, lists has plenty of crunching, wince-making action scenes, and there's endless pleasure to be derived from watching Denzel do his methodical, calm thing. So refresh your memory ahead of next week's sequel, The Equalizer 2. And that's it. Those are my two recommendations this week on Sky Cinema, Kingsman, The Golden Circle, and The Equalizer. Join me next week for more Sky Cinema-related fun. Now it's back to you in the studio, Helen. It is time to talk about actual films. Um, where shall we start? Shall we start we, with... I mean, there's only one place to start and finish, isn't there? Well, we have some other films. No, really, nothing else matters, Helen. The Meg is released this week. 
Tell us about the Meg, James. I, I don't know because I wasn't able to go to the screening because I was on a first aid course. However, I, much as people followed my first aid on Twitter, I followed the Meg screening on Instagram. And Ollie Richards showed pictures of him watching the Meg in a dinghy before being forcefully evicted by the cast of Love Island. Yes, I was in the best thing that's ever happened. I was I was with him at that screening. So this was a screen a screening. Let, let's just d- diverge for a moment here. This was a screening at Brockwell Lido. Yeah. Um, it was a lovely event. They had it all set up. They had um, bean bags and some chairs along one side of the pool, and then they had the screen on the other side. They had a few dinghies in the pool, which you could then sit in and watch the screening as well. Um, they, had, they had food. They, there was drink. It was a lovely evening. Um, and of course, it came after a summer of unprecedentedly sunny, dry weather. So there was no reason to suspect that it would pour with rain for about an hour and a half of the film. Also precisely as the film yes. started, yes. bang but, on nine o'clock. But it's not <laughs> as if, like, literally, the weather app on my phone had said two days before, at 9pm, there will be a thunderstorm. Yes, and, and indeed there was. And so the Love Islanders, who were put into the boats after Ollie was kicked out, and, and others, he was not the only one who had ventured into the boats, um, they r- rapidly discovered that the boats became swimming pools, and they left about 40 minutes into the film. And I don't actually think that was a remark on its quality. I think that was a remark on its wetness. It became a 4D screening. I wasn't at that screening, Mm -hmm. I'm sad to say. I saw it in the dry, indoors, in a big dark room. Um, and I enjoyed it. I did too. I enjoyed it. It's, the thing is... So we should talk about what it is. It's, yeah, so, so, so the, the, the setup is, in the not-too-distant future, i.e. five years from now, pretty much, there's a super swanky undersea base run by <laughs> a sort of <laughs> Chinese-American, you know, let's, let's make this as appealing to international audiences as possible, please, uh, conglomerate-type science research people and they've discovered that down at the bottom of like the deep trenches it's not actually the bottom there's a level of there's a thermal cloud layer and beneath that is a whole other ecosystem so they have these high-tech things they go down and they look around and everything's super nice and then they get attacked by some big nasty something (gasps) call in the only person who is a qualified enough to deal with this kind of stuff and b has encountered a big, scary something very deep in the ocean before, Jonas Taylor, a.k.a. Jason (laughs) Statham. (laughs) And on top of it, he's rescuing his ex-wife, which was a line when that was revealed, the screening I was at, everyone burst out laughing. (laughs) So it gives you an idea of the kind of enjoyment you're going to get from this film because it's hokey and it's silly and I think everyone in it, and the guy who directed it certainly knows it. So, yes, he's in there and... um, Rescue, rescue, rescue. And it turns out they've also accidentally paved the way for a supergiant prehistoric shark to come into our waters. That would be Megalodon. A Megalodon. A Megalodon. And Megalodon. If, if you saw Teen Titans the other week, you remember we, they, they, they talk in Teen Titans about the joy of saying the bad guy's name. The bad guy has to have a name that's fun to say. Yeah. Megalodon. Is yeah. one of those names. Megalodon. Anyway, so, um, and then it's like, it is, it's, um, you know, man versus Meg, as Statham says in the film, isn't a fight, it's a slaughter. Um, and yeah, it's it's giant shark terrorising people, yep. people trying to find a way to kill giant shark. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. It's pretty much it. I think I would put this very much on, let's be very clear, I, I also had a good time at this, but I had a good time in a deep blue sea way and not a Jaws way. Yes. Indeed, absolutely. And I don't think it has a single moment as transcendent as the 
ice speech that <laughs> yes. Samuel L. Jackson gives. So, so it's it's on a deep blue sea levels apart from the lack of that one glorious bit. Um, but I had I had a blast watching this. I stayed through the pouring rain and gave myself a cold because I was having a lot of fun watching it. And I think it's self aware enough to be fun rather than terrible. Did it have the weirdly intense religious subtext of Deep Blue Sea? Which, when you watch it now, like, the only characters who survive in that is... One of them is LL Cool J's yeah. character, who's called Preacher. And, and quotes across, Psalms, and quite quotes liberally. Psalms, and then the, then the sharks swim away from him, and all the nasty scientists who meddled with nature to create the super smart sharks all get chomped up by the end. It's a very weirdly religious film. That is true, that is true. Well, definitely one shouldn't meddle with nature. That, that's I'm not sure where in the Bible it says Saffron Burrow should strip basically naked and stand on a wetsuit, but I probably missed that part. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're a theology student, James. I thought you would have been all over that. Yeah. Apparently not. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it is every bit as ridiculous as you would expect of a of a giant shark movie. I would say it's a lot better done technically than, say, Shark Attack Three. But again, it doesn't have that one line, so you lo- you lose a few points. It doesn't for that. have any Sharknados either. Well, that's a positive in its favour for me. That 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 series is terrible and irredeemable, and we shouldn't. <laughs> Having said all of that, Chris reviewed it, and he only gave it two stars because he hates joy and stupidity. Right. I can see that. I can see that. It is on that sort of two, three border. And, mm. and, and which side you go, uh, you know, it, it will do. I mean, it's like, for example, it doesn't really deliver that well on the action. Mm. It, it's, it falls a bit flat. It's reliant on, on CG rather than stunt work, I felt, which was a shame with Statham in the picture. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't sort of like layer up its action scenes or deliver much suspense in them um, and it could have been funnier with you know with with yeah. its with its action as well you know it could have been a bit more slapsticky uh, so so i can see that i mean you know um uh turtle torb's a smart guy and a funny guy and and he's made some fun films but he he, he didn't he didn't really feel like he was completely in his element with this one um, and then you know, there's there's the, the attempt to, to to muster up chemistry between uh, Statham and uh, Lee Bing Bing was was valiant, but it does not pay off. Uh, the, the film works so hard to try and convince you that two characters were attracted to each other when you just it's just not there. Um, so I can kind of see how you would end up as as a two. I mean, full disclosure, I took because uh, it's summer holidays. I took my twelve year old son with me as my plus one, and he loved it. <laughs> so, I guess if you're if you're a twelve year old boy, this film is totally for you. Also, it seems like the sort of film that if if you are planning to see the Meg, go this weekend, opening weekend when it's going to be packed out in your local yeah. cinema. See it with a big group of people because I imagine it would be a very different experience watching it on your own at home on your mm. sofa, crying, than, yeah, <laughs> naked. Um, I have no. to admit, I did. I I was at the uh, outdoor screening as well, but I bailed about 15 minutes in partly because of the rain but also because of the noise there are a lot of very very noisy people and i couldn't hear what was going on that was but the love islanders it was the love islanders um i did have two hot dogs and a cone of fish and chips and some ice cream uh so i just wanted to call it a night while i'd already had a really good time <laughs> um so that is two stars <laughs> from the Meg. committed movie journalism <laughs> in um, action that is not the only film out this week, although it does sometimes feel like it. Uh, also out this week is The Darkest Minds, which is a new young adult uh, movie starring Amanda Stenberg from uh, The Hunger Games, uh, for example, and the, the upcoming The Hate You Give. Um, she stars as uh, a survivor in a world where most 
children were killed by a plague. So about 90, I think at one point they said 98, but I heard both, um, percent of kids have been killed by a plague. And the ones that are left have had developed powers. So there's, uh, uh, what do you call it, telekinesis, controlling electricity, mind reading, pyromania or pyrokinetics. Um, so it's like misfits in science. Very much like that. It's very wow. much a, like it's a bit like this and a bit like that kind of film. Very it much, yes. It borrows from a lot of different places. Yeah, it does. So the kids are all basically in concentration camps. This is about them breaking out, trying to go home, trying to figure out how to use their powers. Um, I thought the basic premise of it, um, a lot like... Um, what was Divergent? the one? Divergent? Yes, thank the you. The one that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought the basic <laughs> premise of it, a lot like Divergent, doesn't really make sense. Uh, so there are some categories of people who are so dangerous that the authorities kill them on site, and that didn't make sense. They've got all these super smart kids, and they put them to work apparently cleaning shoes, and that made <laughs> no sense. It, it was it was an odd setup. I think everybody performs it perfectly well, but I don't think the film itself hangs together. And this is very much the first in a series. Like, it looks like and it feels like the first in a series. It's directed by Jennifer Yu Nelson, who did the Kung Fu Panda series. Um, and I think it's I think it's perfectly fine in the way it's done. I just think that the basic store, source material maybe isn't quite as strong as it should have been. I thought the opening half hour of it is really not very good. It's, it's really, really choppy, and it feels like that's been really kind of messed about with by the studio. They've either taken big chunks out or the pacing is just all over the place. And then... It, the kind of second act of the film moves into more of a, a road movie kind of um, genre. And I thought it kind of got better from there. It's it's not great, but if you if you like YA stuff, it's it's definitely on that kind of divergent tier. But it's not... I think there there's enjoyable stuff in it, and I think um, Amanda Semberg is really, really good. She deserves better material. And in fact, actually... Um, Skyland Brooks. Uh, so, so when uh, Ruby and some of the other kids go on the run, there's a group of four of them, uh, and they're basically all pretty good. Yeah, uh, I, I like them all. But there's a character called uh, Chubbs or Charles, who's played by this guy called Skyland Brooks, and he's really, really engaging. He gets a lot of laughs, um, and his interplay with with Amanda Stenberg is really good, and with the rest of the team. Um, it if if. If it had got off on a better start, I think it would have been a pretty solid three-star YA film, but it takes quite a lot of getting going. Also, there's a really, really weird Gwendolyn Christie in a very wiggy wig <laughs> in, a, yeah. in a role that lasts about two minutes on screen and comes in out of nowhere and then immediately kind of goes off to the side. It, it feels like a waste of her and I hope that I'm mm. just not knowing the sequels enough and she comes back Maybe she's important. Yeah. But, so yeah. we're saying worse than Divergent but less grammatically upsetting? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, it's much less grammatically upsetting so that's really good. Um, but uh, and, and again, really engaging lead. I think Amanda's great in this and I think she is going to be better when she has some much better material. The, the Hate You Give is a much better book. Um, but yeah, we, we give this two stars. Yeah. Um, also out this week uh, is The Negotiator, which uh, we give three stars. So this stars uh, John Hamm as a diplomat who's kind of disillusioned. He's left the work behind and then a decade later is is called back to solve a, a kidnapping crisis. I have to confess, I haven't seen this. I don't think any of us have in the no, room. No, but I've seen The Other Negotiator with Samuel L. Jackson and it's great, so... Great. Well, that's, that's a high helpful. recommendation. But this, um, it's a sort of low-action, dialogue-heavy thriller, but it, 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 it has some meaty stuff for, for John Hamm to work with, but perhaps maybe it's a little <laughs> bit that, too... Was that, was that an intentional gag? 
Oh, yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, it's maybe a little bit too dialogue-heavy and action-like. I have to say, though, how has it taken this long for John Hamm to get a serious, proper lead role in a movie? Well, I know. I mean... So- He's he's just bring got, on more. He doesn't need to, you know. He's just preferred to take some funny side bits to other people. Also, out this week is the thirtieth anniversary uh, of Heather's, and it's getting a re-release. So if it's showing anywhere near you, and if you haven't seen it, go watch it and marvel that somebody made this thirty years ago. It's just, it's amazing. It would never be made nowadays. It is so dark, so funny, and and so utterly brilliant. Winona Ryder, no less an authority than Winona Ryder, says it's the best thing she's ever done, and she was in some good stuff. So, go see Heathers if you can. Alright, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, when we will be joined by Antoine Fuqua to talk about The Equalizer 2, which is fantastic. Until then, it is goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. From Ben. Goodbye, Heather. That's not... All right, Heather. And goodbye from James. Are you satisfied with your care? (laughs) No. (laughs) And thank you. It's goodbye from me. I'm off to do a first aid course because I don't trust James. (laughs)